Hello and welcome to another week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network, and brought to you by your local community radio station. I'm Sarah McKenzie. On this week's show, we'll hear from Owen Bennett, the president of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. He chats with us about the Healthy Welfare Card, a demeaning card which seeks to manage the income of welfare recipients in Australia. But first, some union news. The International Trade Union Confederation Global Rights Index for 2017 has just been released. It shows that the number of countries experiencing physical violence and threats against workers has risen by 10% in just one year. Attacks on union members have been documented in 59 countries, and this is fueling growing anxieties about jobs and wages. Sharon Burrow, the ITUC General Secretary, said that denying workers protection under labour laws creates a hidden workforce, where governments and companies refuse to take responsibility, especially for migrant workers, domestic workers and those on short-term contracts. In too many countries, fundamental democratic rights are being undermined by corporate interests. The International Trade Union Confederation has been collecting data on violations of workers' rights to trade union membership and collective bargaining around the world for more than 30 years. This is the fourth year that they have presented their findings through a Global Rights Index. The Global Rights Index ranks 139 countries and shows how government laws and business practices have deteriorated or improved in the last 12 months. Other key findings in the report include that over three quarters of countries deny some or all of their workers the right to strike, and over three quarters of countries deny some or all of their workers collective bargaining. The countries are ranked from five to one, one being irregular violations of rights and five being no guarantee to rights. Number three, where Australia is ranked, as it was ranked last year, is a category where Countries have regular violations of rights for workers. So if we want to do better, we need people to join their unions. If we want to make change for the many, then the many need to be united. Look, we are here today on our 25th uh, anniversary of International Justice Day for the Cleaners and Security Guards. Today, uh, across the world, there are thousands of cleaners and security guards standing up and speaking up. Today there are rallies happening right across the world in North America, South America, Europe and many other parts of the world just like this. And in the guards and the cleaners, they are demanding for a better future for themselves and the families. The reason we are here today in front of the Parliament House is because the guards in this state and the cleaners they want more secure jobs, a job they can count on. On the 15th of June, workers across the world commemorated the International Day of Justice for Cleaners and Security Guards. In Victoria, members of United Voice, the Union for Cleaners and Security Guards, held a rally on the steps of Parliament House. I spoke with United Voice member Lorraine. Lorraine works as a cleaner and she speaks about some of the issues facing her at work. 
Um, my name's Lorraine Bird and today is to make sure everybody has a good job and that we all get paid the right amount of money and we all get equal pay. Today is the Justice for School Cleaners and Security Guards Day. Yes, it is. Uh, and are you, are you a school cleaner? Yes, I am. Um, great. Can you tell me a little bit about what's uh, happening in that work at the moment? At or the you... moment, I've been school cleaner for 17 years, and in that 17 years, nothing's changed. In fact, it's actually got worse. The pay is not very good. There's a lot of people out there getting very low wages. They're not getting their entitlements. They're not getting anything that they are supposed to have. So we're now trying to make it that across the board, everyone gets what they deserve which is equal pay, equal superannuation, equal holidays um, and that we get rid of all the road, little road companies that are working and taking away work from the big companies who are doing the right thing. So, um, and if you work in school, you've got to work with children, you've got to have police checks. A lot of these people don't have it. So we're just trying to clean it right across the board and make sure that everybody gets the same amount and we can get rid of all these little road companies that are doing the wrong thing. The Electrical Trades Union, ETU, in Western Australia has condemned the former state government's decision to award the Forest Field Airport Rail Link project tender to the cheapest bidder, the Salini Impregulo NRW joint venture. $1.96 billion was originally budgeted for the construction of the key Forest Field Airport Rail Link project, and the cheapest tender was awarded the contract in 2017 at a significantly reduced bid of $1.3 billion. SI-NRW's joint venture has now started engaging the project workforce, with many of the workers, including electricians and electrical contractors, employed on Fair Work Commission registered single enterprise agreements. A single enterprise agreement, an SEA, can be approved by a very small number of employees at the project's commencement, and then it applies across the entire workforce as it grows or expands to meet the project's requirements. The problem with this is that it can effectively bind future project workers to an agreement initially made by just a handful of workers, a handful of workers who wouldn't have understood exactly what they were voting for. Senior official of the ETUWA branch, Peter Carter, slammed the cheapest is best approach, saying that past experiences of the Perth Children's Hospital project had clearly exposed risks. Peter Carter goes on to say that this is just another example of how a flawed Fair Work Act and the failings of a previous state government have opened the door to a foreign multinational company to come in, drag the paying conditions of WA workers to the bottom. The ETU are seeking discussions with the new state WA Labor government and call on them to step in and stand up for the WA workers to ensure that we don't have a repay of what happened at the Perth Children's Hospital. On June the 16th, health and safety activists and the OHS team at the Victorian Trades Hall held a street protest against Element 5 and Vcon. This is a building company that has one of Victoria's worst safety records. In the last two years, there have been 104 serious incidents and one death on their construction sites. I spoke with some of the organisers at the street protest held in Collins Street, Melbourne. My name's Amy Jenkins and I'm an OHS online organiser at the Victorian Trades Hall Council. Today you're getting people to sign petitions. Can you tell me a little bit about who those petitions are to and, and what it's about? Yeah, so um, Element 5 Vcon are a really notorious builder. They've got terrible safety standards. See some photos coming out that even if you don't have a background in construction like myself, 
Um, you can absolutely see that it is incredibly unsafe. There's no fall protection. You can just see the ground um, from floors up. Um, and like, there have been 104 notifiable incidents, so that's when something actually of con grave concern has happened um, in the last year. And one worker was killed, a painter in Merrick's North on the peninsula um, late last year. So what we're seeing is this builder has had multiple contacts with WorkSafe, they've been warned and they don't care because it's cheaper to cut corners on safety, right? So there's a couple of things going on. We both want workers to be safe. We want everyone to go home safe at the end of the day. So how do we make that happen? These guys aren't working, listening to the relevant authorities. So we're going for, they clearly only care about money. So we're looking at where the money is, the buyers of the houses and the developers who are building them. So we're calling on developers to stop hiring this really dodgy builder. We're also calling on people to boycott and not buy these properties when others are available. And also clearly if they're cutting corners on safety, they're probably cutting corners on quality too. The Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU, is calling for the lower house of the Australian Parliament to be given every opportunity to get the one majority vote needed to save penalty rates. The bill, which has already passed the Senate, is being blocked in the lower house by the LNP and independent Cathy McGowan. Sally McManus from the ACTU said that there is now a bill before Parliament that would stop 700,000 Australian wages being cut on July 1st. Here's a bit from her. Company profits in Australia are soaring. Inequality is at a 70-year high, while workers' wages have stopped dead in their tracks. The last thing people need is a pay cut. But in less than two weeks, 700,000 low-paid working people and their families are facing a penalty rates pay cut of up to $70 a week. This is a pay cut that people can't afford and they don't deserve. The penalty rates pay cuts can be stopped and they can be stopped today. The bill has already passed the Australian Senate with the support of Labor, Greens and the Independents. Now we are just one vote away from winning in the House of Representatives. If we win this vote, we will change the law to stop the Fair Work Commission from cutting penalty rates, not just for the 700,000 retail and hospitality workers, but for all workers into the future. So we need you to get on the phone or on the Facebook page of your local federal member and demand they stand up for working families and vote to save penalty rates. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. The Community and Public Sector Union, the CPSU, has called on the Turnbull Government and the Australian Public Service Commission, the APSC, to take action to address the gender pay gap between men and women working in Commonwealth agencies. The APSC's latest remuneration report shows that across the whole workforce, the average women's base salary was 8.6% lower than the average men's base salary. The report also reveals the median base salary increase for non-senior executive service workers has risen by just 0.3% in 2016. Beth Vincent Peach, the Deputy Secretary of the Community and Public Sector Union, speaks with me over the phone about this report. Well, it's great to finally see exactly what the picture is in the APS. Uh, this is the first time that we've actually had this 
statistic been reported on. Um, but it's incredibly disappointing that in 2017, we've still got a gender pay cap in the Australian Public Service. I mean, I think most people expect that those days should be long gone and behind us, and to see that it is still 8.6% is very disappointing. What would the CPSU's position be on how we could close the gap in the public sector? Well, I think it's very disappointing that the Public Service Commissioner has said, well, you know, 8.6% isn't too bad, it's worse elsewhere. Uh, That can't really be the way we approach gender equity in 2017. The CPSU's got a really clear position that we need to get to a point where there is no gender inequity in terms of pay. But it is being... um, widened this gap rather than narrowed at the moment because there there are divides between different departments, those that are more heavily feminised, those that are like child support, uh, Centrelink, uh, the cultural institutions are all at the bottom of the pay scale and they're all highly feminised. So there's a whole lot of women working in departments that are paid a whole lot less than the Department of Finance or the Department of Treasury, uh, so which have got a lot more men. So there's some real need for a rethink in terms of pay across the public service. You should be able to be an APS5, which, you know, and no matter where you work, you get the same pay. It shouldn't be that there's a captive audience in those industries that are more around the caring roles, um, where the pay is at the bottom of the pay pile. It's just not fair moving forward. So we think that that addressing that is number one in terms of achieving better pay equity. But there's also a whole lot of work needed to make sure that there are flexible working arrangements. We know that getting women into senior leadership positions, the key barrier continues to be that people say they need flexibility and control over their hours at work. And disappointingly, this government has had a bargaining policy that says um, that directly attacks people's capacity to have control over their hours and flexibility in the workplace. There's a government bargaining policy, which we've been bargaining across the entire APS for for the last three, four years. Um, And it is really prescriptive over what agencies are able to actually offer their workers. And one of the things that it attacks is control over hours and flexible working arrangements in the APS. And as I said, these are the things that women keep telling us are most crucial in order to Um, commit to their careers and reach senior leadership positions. So all of the agencies really hit a terrible roadblock in terms of getting to a new agreement because they were not only capped in terms of what they were able to offer in pay, but they were cutting allowances and conditions and key rights at work and stripping them out of agreements and leaving people with really dud deals. So as a result, there are a number of agencies who've been bargaining for a protracted period. We've been in dispute. We cannot resolve it because the government refuses to yield on its policy. We're finally getting to a point where we're getting some breakthrough now. But one of the key places where it's still hard to get through is the Department of Human Services. So those Centrelink workers, of which there's over 30,000 of them across Australia, maybe women, who still don't have a fair pay deal on the table because their control over their hours and their rostered environment is still under attack. Um, the government does also have a new gender equity strategy, um, which I've heard quite quite proud of for the APS. Um, we are really embrace the fact that they would like to address gender inequality. I think it's terrific, but it's inconsistent with the other policies that are in place, such as the government's bargaining policy. So you can't say on one hand, well, agencies should be flexible by default, 
but then on the other hand say, but you can't have an agreement that locks in any certainty over the control of your hours or flexible working arrangements. So you can't have two polar opposite positions and it's time that that was called out for what it is. It's not going to achieve gender equity until the government gets serious about it. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. The Healthy Welfare Card is a coalition government policy that will forcibly restrict 80% of unemployed Australian New Start entitlements to a visa-style debit card. Under the pretext of preventing unemployed workers from buying alcohol and drugs or gambling. Yet another punitive program, like the random drug test announcement in this year's budget, that the federal government has found to attack the unemployed and the poor. Owen Bennett, president of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, is in a constant battle for the rights and dignity of unemployed workers, and he chats with me today over the phone. So I I wanted to chat with you a little bit today about the rollout of the cashless welfare card. When can we expect to see that being rolled out? There have been trials going on since the last budget. Um, they started rolling out trials called under the banner of the Healthy Welfare Card in Sejuna, and I think there was another place in the Kimberleys where they've been trialling it. And that trial isn't a trial at all. It's just a way for the government to start it going over there and then... When, when, when the data came out, they just basically fudged all the numbers to make it look like it was doing good things, and that's giving them uh, momentum to roll it out further. So the Greens, for example, have been very critical of the way government set up the trial, where it's not really a trial at all, it's just a, a way for them to start rolling it out nationally and just start that momentum going. And was that, was that the um, cashless welfare card or the basics card? And can you tell me a bit about the difference? Yep, sure. So the the basics card has been going on for a long time, um, since the late 2000s, I'm pretty sure, mid to late 2000s, and that began sort of with the with the intervention and those sorts of attempts to oppress Aboriginal people. And what it did was it uh, quarantined half of people's entitlement onto a card which can only be spent at um, approved locations, mostly supermarkets and things. And then more recently that, that basics card was, was rolled out to other non-Aboriginal areas in Adelaide and in Shepparton and I think another location in Sydney. And But the, the government recently, under advisement of um, this billionaire Andrew Forrest, have said, no, that card doesn't go far enough. We're going to introduce a new card called the Healthy Welfare Card, which is that same card on steroids. And instead of quarantining only half of, um, I'm not saying only, it's still a lot, but rather than, than quarantining half of people's money, it quarantined 80% of people's money. There are so many problems where people are trying to access, you know, the cheap produce at a market or cheap second-hand clothes at an op shop, and they just can't access that material because it's it's only cash. It's a cash economy. So there's plenty of stuff in the cash economy that people just aren't able to get access to, which is so much cheaper for people on the dole. I mean, we're talking about people who are $380 per fortnight below the poverty line. There are so many cheaper 
alternatives to supermarkets, which are in the cash economy, um, going on, you know, the internet and buying something there, going, you know, going to your friend's house and picking up something from them, with, you know, second hand or, or all sorts of things like that. And this card just completely it's discriminates against um, poor people and says, no, you can't do that. You have to, you have to go to to supermarkets. The card doesn't work. It, it's been proven again and again that it doesn't actually reduce drug-related illness. If, it, if the government want to re- reduce drug-related illness and want to address that problem, then they need to look into rehabilitation. They need to look into those sorts of um, helpful measures where they actually reach out to people and, and try to help them with, with their illness. But this is the same sort of punitive approach the government has taken again and again. It tries to push them to the margins of society and make well, them powerless. Well, one of, one of the ways that they're claiming they're trying to help people who are um, uh, suffering with addictions is these drug these random drug tests for people who are receiving payments from Centrelink. Um, but, uh, of course, people on welfare are not all struggling with addiction. That's as much as the coalition would like us to believe that. But, but what about the few people who may be receiving Centrelink payments and also seeking support for drug or alcohol treatment? Do they... Are they just expected to lie, or do they stop seeking that support through those government um, channels out of fear that they'll have their payments cut off? Well, how how the government has framed this is that people um, who have, have drug-related illnesses, um, if they do, as you say, they're they're rolling out this trial where five thousand people will be drug tested, um, and that's that's going to start uh, in a little. That's from the first of January, January, yep. eighteen. Mm-hmm. So that's a little while away. But yeah, they're, they're selecting trial locations now. I think there's going to be one in the Hunter Valley near Newcastle. And once, you, like, if you get tested and you test positive, then they will essentially force you to um, attend a, some sort of clinic, or a rehabilitation clinic of some variety. And if you don't agree to be tested, then you're going to be cut off um, your your entitlement. So there's so many problems around that. I mean. The, the, the biggest one that the union's worried about is basically that this is undermining people's right to social security. I mean, it's, it's a right that is enshrined in, in 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 social security law and on the attorney general's website. These these things are important rights that we've fought for, and the government are, are making that right a conditional right. So it's not really a right at all. You have to do jump through all these hoops in order to get that access that that right to social security, which is such an important aspect of our society and this particular policy is just the beginning we feel of a whole series of other conditions that we place on social security um it's a really dangerous precedent where the government are going to say if you want to access this this what used to be uh, a social service you need to meet all these requirements we're putting on you and this particular requirement they're putting on you going through the humiliating process of being drug tested, which is, could, could involve pissing in a, in a pot, basically, for them, or hair follicles or saliva. It's just it's completely a, a pointless enterprise um, in terms of helping people drug-related illnesses. It's mm-hmm. the same thing as a cashless welfare card. When you think of the government's overall approach to Social Security, which is inherently punitive, says being unemployed is a, a nightmare when you're dealing with job agencies who are punishing you to... Centrelink could cut you off. I mean, there were two million penalties imposed on unemployed workers last year. This is a government that's intent on just making 
your experience of unemployment so humiliating, so degrading, that you just give up. And this is part of that wider approach where the government just wanted to make collecting unemployment so humiliating because it's not just for these 5,000 people who are going to be tested, although they're, it's, it's for everyone on, on unemployment benefits. They're, they're trying to colour it so it's such a humiliating experience and it comes with all this stigma, all this baggage, as you said, where the government are implying that people on the dole are more likely to be drug users and rather than giving them a helping hand, they're trying to demonise them and force them into these humiliating situations. And according to the government's recent budget, all these measures they've put forward around, around the dole and around um, unemployed workers, they want to try to save $635 million over the next, I think it's four, four years. But how much is this going to um, cost them, though? I'm sure, like, welfare drug tests and cashless cards are going to cost the government money to, to roll out. Yes, well, the government has been very um, <coughs> cynical about this because they haven't actually revealed that, that, that they say that it's, um, it's commercial incompetence um, information. Looking at the other, other programs that have, that have gone on, it looks like it'll cost them around about half a million dollars in order to do that testing. And another really concerning development here is that the government are outsourcing all this. So the people running the drug tests are going to be a private company. Not only um, is, are the drug tests going to be essentially privatised, but the cashless welfare card is also a, an outsourced measure as well because the card is being run by a, a private company called Indu who have connections with all sorts of supermarkets and things like that. So it's a huge scam that's going on here and that the government are just in bed with all these vested interests so they've, and they've created a system and this, uh, in the name of helping people with drug-related illness, which is something that needs to be done and it, even though the, the, the figures show that right now people on the dole, that it, it isn't, it isn't a, 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 an epidemic or anything like that, there's a, v- a very, very small percentage of people according to the data, I think it's less than 1% according to the data um, have drug-related illnesses. But in, in the long run, I think it's a good idea to be trying to offer people, and the union thinks it's a good idea to be offer people, you know, rehabilitation services. But the way the government's gone, gone around it, it's basically just a big excuse to privatise essential functions in the name of helping people with drug-related illness. And <clears throat> so to, just to recap that, yeah. you've got people who are going to be forced to do drug tests, run by a private company, and then if they fail those drug tests, then they're going to be forced onto a cashless welfare car, also run by a private company. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to Beth Vincent Peach from the Community and Public Sector Union and Owen Bennett from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union for chatting with us. And thanks to you for listening. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and is broadcast nationally by the Community Radio Network. Podcasts for this show can be found at 3cr.org.au slash sticktogether. If you'd like to get in contact with the producers of this show, you can give us a call on 03-9419-8377 or write us an email at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. And remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. I'm Sarah McKenzie. Until next time... Stick together.